we have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for 12 months for just $62.99 and save 30% on the newsstand price. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $62.99. You'll find our special subscription offer at australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, I'm Angela Heathcote and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. This episode, I'm talking to Brian Lassard, also known as Bry the Fly Guy. Most Australians hate flies, but Brian dedicates himself to changing that perception. For example, most people don't know that without flies, there wouldn't be any chocolate. But all of Australia's insects are crucial to our ecosystem and could create a billion-dollar industry. So I'm really excited to be talking to Brian today on this episode of Talking Australia. Brian, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Ange. Okay, so we're going to be covering a lot of stuff this podcast about insects. But first off, I want to go into the recent bushfires. I want to talk about the impact on the insects and I guess what what the aftermath looks like for them. Um, Can you kind of take me through that? Sure. So there's been um, recent headlines in the last six months about global insect decline and how the populations are decreasing. However, these data sets are based on European and Northern Hemisphere insects. We don't actually have solid data on what's happening in Australia. And insects are so important to our everyday lives. They provide all these essential ecosystem sciences and services for free and go absolutely unnoticed. And we think that, yes, of course, because of the severity of these bushfires, they may have likely have impacted on the insects. But we just don't have that baseline data in Australia. We are still getting around to describing every single species in Australia. And then once we have a species name for those species, we can then go and start looking at which species are actually in decline. Mm. I, I find it really interesting because I remember seeing all those articles about the insectageddon and I kind of was looking for, I guess, an Australian perspective. And um, nearly everyone that I interviewed was kind of like, look, like maybe I can I can probably talk about four insects that we can absolutely conclude that they're, they're in trouble, but the data just really isn't there. Can you tell me, like, why is that? Why can the Northern Hemisphere have this data and Australia just doesn't have the data on it? Yeah, well, when you think about uh, the number of scientists in Australia um, compared to our vast landscape, um, there aren't as many as compared to, you know, the United States or Europe, where there are so many scientists on the ground um, covering off on all these different environmental niches where they can actually look. So we need more scientists in Australia to look at our biodiversity. And we also need more resources to be able to go out and do these um, fieldwork collections. So... A lot of the attention and focus goes onto these charismatic macro fauna, like your koalas and or your birds as well. And insects are just as important as these in, uh, animals as well. So what we need is a step change in the way that we're actually documenting and describing Australian biodiversity. We need to go out there and um, know what's there, what, how to identify it, and then we can properly manage it as well. 
Mm. I found it really interesting in the post-bushfire or kind of during the bushfire coverage, um, there were some people who were including the impacts of insects, but basically what they were saying was, oh, you know, um, they are food for mammals and, um, you know, and that's kind of, uh, that's where the buck kind of stopped. Do you think Australians might have not the best understanding of how insects actually actually contribute beyond, you know, uh, being food for, you know, different mammals and birds? Definitely. So I think we really need to start preaching the wonders of insects because it's more than just being an integral part of the food web feeding animals like fish, amphibians, uh, birds and reptiles as well. Insects are ex- essential pollinators in Australia. So when you think of pollination, you might automatically go to the European honeybee and the European honeybee is estimated to be worth $6 billion in pollination in Australia each year. But you've got to think, we introduced the European honeybee in Australia. What was pollinating our native species originally? And this is where our beautiful Australian native species of insects are doing their job. Uh, We've done some really exciting research at CSIRO as part of our future science platform using cutting-edge technology. And we've actually gone out and sampled the insects found on the alpine zone of Mount Kosciuszko. And we've used some really cool technology to actually get the pollen off of these insects and extract the DNA from that pollen, map the genetic fingerprint and identify which species of plants these insects are actually visiting. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. So even pest species like pest to us, at least, the horseflies or marchflies, uh, they can actually pollinate up to 15 different varieties of native plants like snow gums, grevillea and all these other cool and wonderful little rare uh, plants as well. I want to now. I want to go into your your specialty because I have so many questions. Nice. <laughs> um, so your thing is flies. Yep. Now they don't have the best rap, obviously. I want to know how does someone you know get into the study of flies and what kind of drew you in? Like how how does that happen? Because to every to most people, it's like these things are so annoying. They're all it's all about swatting them. So what's I mean, wh- you know, what what attracted you to it? That is such a good question and one that I get pretty often because <laughs> what kind of crazy person dedicates their career to flies? Um, Growing up, I was just like many Australians. I hated flies. I have to say I did hate flies. I thought they were super annoying because I didn't understand them. Um, Grew up watching Louis the Fly ads, of course, where we're we're indoctrinated at an early age that flies are bad. Uh, Oh, my God. Does he still exist? I think he does. I think they nearly killed him off. But then... So close. And then people, like, advocated for him. Exactly. Exactly. but what's interesting is that without flies, there would be no chocolate. And that was okay. a hook for me. Whoa. As a chocolate lover, as soon as you know that, then you start to appreciate flies a little more. And the reason why is because flies are the only known species that actually are small enough to pollinate the cocoa plant. Um, and it wasn't until I enrolled in uni and did a class in forensic entomology where I learned that you know, maggots can actually solve crime. They're actually really cool and sexy. And that's when I thought, hey, flies are pretty cool. I'm going to start studying them. And that eventually led to a PhD and postdocs in um, looking at fly research and Mm. how wonderful they are under the microscope. And you work really, really hard in terms of science communication on flies because I I love your Twitter, first of all. Um, But the other thing is you're always comparing them to things like Pokemons or my personal favourite from the recent, um, from your your recent post was comparing really beautiful flies to Elton John costumes. I was like, finally, some content that I can be, you know, I can stand for. So tell me a little bit about like what the role of science communication is in your, in your studies and your research on flies. 
Yeah, so it's all about changing public perception with flies and insects and the science of taxonomy, so naming and describing species as well. And this is something that I learned outside of high school. So I really wish that it was taught more in primary school and getting Australians interested in biodiversity from an early age and the science of that. So what I love doing is actually talking to people and getting them on board why insects are important. And social media is a really great way with this. Um, the CSRO research collections where I'm from, it's more of a research-focused area. So we don't have any public displays like a museum. But we study these beautiful species and we have really amazing stacked photography where you can actually drill down on the little hairs and the little um, scales of these beautiful moths and beetles. And it's great to share that online as well and get the people interested. And what's really cool is with social media, people are actually going in the backyard and making these discoveries of these beautiful species that they find in their backyard and posting it online. And sometimes they can get an identification as well and start a digital insect collection, which is great. And so if you have kids that are actually passionate in the outdoors and entomology and biodiversity, encourage that and go get them to start, you know, taking photos and sharing them with their friends. And that's what's interesting about Pokemon too, because Pokemon was actually based on entomology, collecting different what? species. Yeah, I did not know that. Definitely. When you, th when you look at them, you're like, oh, that's actually true. It makes sense. And it's just like us as a biodiversity science. You've got to go out and catch them all to document them and name them so we know what they do in the environment and why we have to protect them. I think it's really interesting because um, I feel like, you know, from day to day you you aren't acknowledging insects, but when you see those close-up photographs of them, you go, oh, my God, they're so beautiful. Um, so do you have any kind of, like, favourite flies? Yes, I definitely do. Uh, the first species I'd ever named and described uh, was one that was collected from North Queensland in 1980, but no one knew how to actually identify it at the time. And it was a horsefly. So there weren't any horsefly scientists working on the biodiversity of horseflies until I came along during my PhD. So I was in the Australian National Insect Collection in Canberra, and I pulled out a drawer of all these unidentified specimens that were collected in the field. It was this bright golden abdomen that caught my attention. And because I knew um, all the species of Australian horseflies, I pulled it out and realised it was a new species. And I thought it was pretty bootalicious. So I named it after the one and only Beyonce and it became the Beyonce fly. Okay, this is how you sell flies to people. Like, honestly, ma making, like, giving them such cool names like that. Like, I love this. It was awesome too because it was collected in the same year she was born. There are only four specimens known, the same number as Destiny's Child. Oh, my God. I did my research about it. <laughs> I had to get the name over the line with my, um, my boss as well. You had to justify it. Yep. And what was awesome is it sparked a global conversation on why flies and taxonomy is important. And ever since then, I've been communicating more and more about why we need to care about entomology. I was recently chatting to um, Lizzie Lowe, who you're probably very familiar with. Oh, Lizzie, studied, yep. yep. So she studies spiders and we were talking about, um, you know, why isn't there enough people studying insects and um, naming things and whatnot. And she kind of mentioned that um, basically you can write a paper describing, an, um, describing a particular insect and that will take something like five years or you could do something a little bit less intensive that will be that'll take maybe two years and perhaps that's why there's this lack of taxonomy but I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about how we can fix that problem and why that problem is so or such a big issue when it comes to understanding you know um, I guess the degradation in those populations. Yeah I th think there's been a global decline on the resources for entomology and taxonomy so we used to teach it in universities there used to be degrees of 
full entomology over four years, but slowly they've been whittled down to just a few classes in a larger degree, which is unfortunate because there are a hundred thousand different species of insects in Australia and we only know a quarter of species out there. So we still have to go out and describe the three quarters of dark taxa, uh, the species we don't yet know. And I honestly think that it's going to take a huge catastrophe. Like if we lost, uh, I don't know, let's just say the European honeybee or there was a giant outbreak of a species from overseas that decimates Australian crops, that's when we're start gonna, we're going to have to start putting resources back in entomology. And by then it's probably too late. Mm. So just through having a conversation with the Australian public on why entomology is important is the first step, I think. And then we can start influencing more universities to start teaching more entomology, more taxonomy. Um, it's my passion to get a taxonomic news story on who discovered this amazing new species at least once a week on the news. I think that would be really cool. You'd think it'd be like more people would be interested in it because everyone talks about science is all about discovering new things and, you know, to be able to say, hey, I discovered this thing, that, that that's really appealing. Yeah, and I think a lot of the news stories focus on that initial discovery, not the years of work, like you said, that takes yeah. after you make the discovery, confirming it's a new species, going to the lab, extracting its DNA, um, doing all these analyses on the computer it's a very slow process mm. and what I find really funny is that um, if someone gets a paper out in nature on a new drug medicine that is a huge impact factor uh, for you know five years and then the next drug comes along but when you name a species that's forever so I'm actually referencing papers from the 1850s um, so taxonomy itself is such an important science that lasts hundreds of years into the future and we don't really value it as much as we should do right now. And now I want to talk about something else you did a little while ago um, I saw on your Twitter that you had made a group of friends a pie out of <laughs> out of cricket flour and you didn't tell them and then you gave it to them and they enjoyed it. Tell me about their reaction after you had told them that they, it was made out of that. Firstly, I knew that they weren't allergic to shellfish <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because uh, insects are uh, related to crustacea um, and some people might have a shellfish allergy if they eat insects. That's, but, that's a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer, vague disclaimers, no one friend. Um, so what we I did is I actually bought cricket powder that you can get at um, supermarkets. I th I found that really weird that it, it looked like it was from Woolies. Was yeah, it, it was yeah, Woolies, okay. a macro brand um, of cricket powder you can actually buy. And what's great, it's a flour. So you don't even know that you're actually using cricket powder. So you can use it as a supplement in your cooking. And what's really cool, cricket powder is actually 60% protein. So it's super rich in protein and vitamins like B12. So instead of taking B12 supplements, you can have a bit of cricket powder. And what I did is I made a, uh, it was a vegetarian pie, believe it or not, um, <laughs> from scratch with the base um, that I made. And I, I substituted maybe a quarter of the normal flour with cricket powder. And it really enriched it and gave it this slight nutty flavor as well. And served it to my friends and they had no idea. And I waited for them to start commenting like, oh, this is really good, well done. And then I told them that it had crickets and they're absolutely blown away too. <laughs> So what does it sort of, like, what's the texture and feel and taste of it? Like, could you, can you relate it to anything? Yeah, so it's, uh, the cricket powder itself is a little bit uh, peanutty. Um, so it's really subtle. Mm. Uh, but 
what's great about it is you can, it's quite versatile, actually. You can flavor it any way you want. Um, I've actually eaten roasted crickets too that have chili and lime sprinkled yeah, on them. Yeah, I've had those as well in Cambodia and they were delicious. Super delicious. Um, super crunchy. I've made pizza with roasted crickets on top and pulling it out of the oven, I wasn't sure if the mozzarella would make them soggy, but they actually maintain their crunch too. So it was Love really that. fascinating. Crunchy pizza, yes. So what's really cool about this research is that we're going to have to feed 2 billion more people by 2050 on the same limited resources we have today. We can only grow so many um, farmed animals on the limited lands and water that we have. And the United Nations has actually estimated that the edible insect market is going to be worth $1.5 billion in four years. Oh, wow. And what's really fascinating about insects is that you can grow them in warehouses. They don't require as much land or water, and they're super nutritious as well. So they've got all these macronutrients and protein that you can eat, and... They're, they're just fascinating. So this is part of my new research that we're doing at CSIRO is actually going out in Australia, identifying which species are uh, nutritious. Um, there's about 60 native species that are edible. And we're going back and looking at the nutritional profiles, similar to what you'll find on the back of a cereal box. Right. Can you take me through some of those species that are edible? Yeah, definitely. So we've got some of the most iconic ones that First Nations people have been eating for thousands of years, like your witchetty grubs, your bogon moths, and green tree ants too. And what's really cool about green tree ants is that they're the little green ones that you find in nests up in northern Queensland. So if you've ever camped out there, you've probably noticed them walk on the strings and get into your tent. Uh, but their abdomens are actually super high in vitamin C and they actually taste really lemony and zesty. So there's a company in Adelaide that are actually working with First Nations people from Northern Territory, going out and harvesting these green treants, and then they're infusing them in boutique gin. So you can have a gin and tonic without the actual lime because the green treants provide that zesty flavour. That sounds amazing. Um, so obviously for some Australians, they're going to look at insects and go, uh, not happening. I'm not eating that. How do we change that sort of mentality? Yeah. One of the biggest challenges is convincing everyone to get on board edible insects. And the funny thing is we're already actually eating them. So if you've ever had a natural flavoured red uh, lolly, that's probably a cochineal insect, um, which are little scale bugs that actually you grind up and create this vivid red powder. Uh, and so we're already eating insects right now. If you're not ready to eat a giant cricket um, on your salad, uh, we can substitute that with the cricket flowers and you can slowly get used to eating them in the diet. But if Australians aren't interested in eating insects themselves, we can grow our Australian insects and create an Australian-made um, Australian biodiversity product that we can export to overseas too, which is really exciting. Is this a business pitch? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, yeah. So it's Going from my microscope and seeing how do we get industry and government and then everyone else excited about insects. And that's what's really cool about insects. They're so versatile from eating them to learning about the pollination services to even waste management too. So insects are really good at uh, returning nutrients in forest floors um, and uh Re recycling those nutrients that can be used by plants and animals too. And even insects can be used to reduce food waste as well. So you can feed um, 
pre-consumer food waste. Remember all those bent bananas that were too long and too bent? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could feed those to insects and then they can um, convert those nutrients into a rich source of protein that you can then even feed to farmed fish um, and poultry as well. So insects could actually help us close our economy and um, create this new, exciting, environmentally friendly um, business out there as well. So basically, they're, they're the solution to all our problems. Insects are the gift that keep on giving. <laughs> thanks so much for chatting with me today, Brian. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia with Bry the Fly Guy. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. Until next time.